And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West. In the most haunted city in the country. Well, today's February 28th, the 58th day, excuse me, 59th day of the year. 206 days remain to the year's over with. And you all asked me to announce holidays and observances, so National Pink Day. Be the one that stands up for kindness. National Chocolate Souffle Day. National Tooth Fairy Day. Inconvenience Yourself Day. National Floor Design Day. Global Scoose Day. National Public Sleeping Day. Go someplace public and take a nap. Jewish Book Week. Cornish Pastry Week. And Peace Corps Week. Birth dates. Oh, I'm sorry. Don't have any. National Black History Month. Canned Food Month. National Snack Food Month. National Children's Dental Health Month. Harley Quinn Month. National Embroidery Month. National Grapefruit Month. National Women's Inventors Month. Great American Pie Month. International Vegan Cuisine Month. National Heart Month. National Cherry Month. National Bird Feeding Month. National Bake for Family Fun Month. Hot National Hot Breakfast Month. National Library Lovers Month. Low Vision Awareness Month. National Fasting February and North American Inclusion Month. All that having been said, let's go back and talk about February 28th. 2002 B.C., Liu Bang is enthroned as Emperor of China, beginning four centuries of rule by the Han Dynasty. 870 A.D., the Fourth Council of Constantinople closes. 1525, Aztec King Cuauhtemoc is executed by order of conquistador Hernán Cortés. Not a very sociable thing to do. 1638, the Scottish National Covenant is signed in Edinburgh. For those who don't know what it is, it was an agreement signed by many people of Scotland during 1638 opposing the proposed reforms by the Church of Scotland, also known as the Kirk, by uh, King Charles I. King's efforts to impose changes on the church in 1630s caused widespread protests across Scotland, leading to the organization of committees to coordinate opposition to the king. Facing royal opposition, its leaders arranged the creation of the National Covenant to bolster the movement by tapping into patriotic fervor. It became widely adopted throughout most of Scotland with supporters uh, known as Covenanters. All in the name of religion. 1835, Elias Lundrat signed and dated the first version of Kalevala, the so-called foreword to the old Kalevala. The Kalevala was uh, was compiled by Elias Rodrot from Karelian and Finnish oral folklore and mythology. It told a story about the creation of the earth, describing the con- controversies and retaliatory voyages between the peoples of the land of Kalevala, called uh, 
Vanola and Land of uh, Pahola and their various protagonists and antagonists, as well as the construction and robbery of the epic mythical wealth-making machine Sampo. It's regarded as the national epic of Karela and Finland, one of the most significant works of Finnish literature, along with uh, J.L. Runeberg's uh, The Tales of Instant Style and Alexis Kivi's The Seven Brothers. 1844, gun explodes on board the steam warship USS Princeton during a pleasure cruise from the Potomac River. Kills six, including Secretary of State Abel Upshur. President John Tyler, who was also on board, wasn't injured in the blast. 1922, United Kingdom ends its protectorate over Egypt through a unilateral declaration of independence. 1925, the Charlevo Kamaraska earthquake strikes northeast and North America. 1947, February 28th incident in Taiwan, civil disorder is put down with the death of an estimated 28,000 civilians. 1958, a school bus in Floyd County, Kentucky hits a record truck and plunges down an embankment into the rain-swollen Lovisa Fork River. The driver and 26 children die in one of the worst school bus accidents in U.S. history. 1959, Discoverer 1, an American spy satellite that is first uh, object uh, intended to achieve a polar orbit is launched but fails to achieve orbit. And that's about the time we discovered the Black Knight. Now, the Black Knight satellite conspiracy theory... Um, is interesting. It claims that a spacecraft of extraterrestrial origins in a near polar orbit of the Earth, and the NASA is covering it up. Conspiracy theory combines several unrelated stories into one narrative. There was a photo taken during the STS-88 mission, claimed by some to show the Black Knight. It's cataloged by NASA as a photo of space debris. Space journalist James Oberg considers this probable debris of a thermal blanket confirmed as lost during the mission. According to uh, UFO conspiracists, the Black Knight's an artificial satellite of extraterrestrial origin. Been orbiting the Earth for about 13,000 years. Satellite story is most likely a conflation of uh, several disconnected stories about various objects and their interpretations. All of them well documented independently and none using the term Black Knight on their first publication. Um, the origin of the Black Knight legend is often... Uh, Retrospectively dated, back to natural extraterrestrial repeating sources, supposedly heard during the 1899 radio experiments uh, conducted by Nikola Tesla. And long-delayed echoes first heard by amateur radio operator Jargon Halls in uh, Oslo, Norway in 1928. Brian Dunning of the Skeptoid uh, podcast attributes Tesla's 1899 radio signals to pulsars, which were not identified until 1968. In 1954, UFO researcher Donald Keogh told newspapers that the uh, Air Force reported two satellites orbiting the Earth had been detected. At that point in time, nobody uh, had technology to launch a satellite. Uh, skeptics have noted Keogh's been promoting a UFO book at the time. A uh, British rocket called the Black Knight Rocket was used in conjunction with the Blue Streak Missile Program between 1958 and 65 to test reentry vehicles. 
Black Knight Satellite Launcher Project announced in 1964 is considered a priority by the Ministry of Aviation. And for those that follow politics, I just got a notification. Mitch McConnell plans to step down as the U.S. Senate Majority Leader in November. Well, February 1960, Time reported the Navy had detected the dark object thought to be a Soviet spy satellite in orbit. Follow-up article confirmed the object was remains of an Air Force Discoverer 8 satellite that had gone astray. 1963, astronaut Gordon Cooper reported a UFO sighting during his 15th orbit in Mercury 9 that was confirmed by tracking stations. But uh, there's no independent evidence that this actually happened. Now, the NASA's mission transcripts nor Cooper's personal copy show any such report being made during the orbit. So what is the Black Knight? Well, we don't know and are probably not going to know. But at the same time, there have been enough uh, mysteries that um, it's definitely worth following up. Now, 1966, a NASA T-38 Talon crashes into the McDonnell Aircraft Factory while attempting a portal visibility landing at Lambert Field in St. Louis. Code astronauts Elliot C. and Charles Bassett 1969, the 1969 Portugal earthquake hits Portugal, Spain, and Morocco. 1974, the British election ended in a hung parliament after the Jeremy Thorpe-led Liberal Party achieved their biggest vote share since 1929. 1975, in London, an underground train fails to stop at Moorgate Terminus Station and crashes into the end of the tunnel, killed 43 people. 1983, the Final episode of MASH airs with almost 110 million viewers. 1985, the Provisional Irish Republican Army carries out a mortar attack on the Royal Ulster Constabulary Police Station at uh, Newry, killed nine officers. 1986, Olaf Palme, 26th Prime Minister of Sweden, is assassinated in Stockholm. 1993, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms agents raid the Branch Davidian Church in Waco, Texas with a warrant to arrest the group's leader, David Koresh. Started a 51-day standoff. 1997, an earthquake in northern Iran is responsible for about 1,100 deaths. 1997, a Turkish military memorandum resulted in the collapse of the coalition government in Turkey. 2001 to 2001, Nisqually earthquake having a moment uh, magnitude of 6.8, with epicenter in the southern Puget Sound, damages the Seattle metropolitan area. 2002, during the religious violence in Gujarat, 97 people were killed in the Naroda Patia massacre, and 69 in the uh, Gulbarg Society massacre. 2013, Pope Benedict XVI resigns as the Pope of the Catholic Church, becoming the first Pope to do so since Pope Gregory XII in 1415. And in 2023, two trains collide south of the Vale of Tempe in Greece, leading to the deaths of at least 57 people and leaving uh, 58 missing and 85 injured. In all likelihood, the uh, missing people are deceased as well, but we'll never know because they're missing. Well, one place that fascinates people is Hollywood. 
the lives and the deaths of stars good for a lot of conversation we're going to talk about um, what I call the uh, celebrity death list we'll start out with Woodley Andre Died in 1959. As a model, Danish-born Gwili Andre was so alluring she became tops in the New York fashion industry. David Selznick, then head of RKO Pictures, uh, brought America's Most Beautiful Model to Hollywood, where she was cast immediately opposite studio star Richard Dixon, Roar of the Dragon in 1932. But in that film... Uh, as in her next feature, Secrets of the French Police, she proved to be a physically striking but dramatically wooden mannequin. By the time of her final movie, The Falcon's Brother, in 1942, she was reduced to a very supporting role. A lot of models have that problem. They're beautiful to look at, but though the lights are on, nobody's home. By the late 1950s, her acting career was a memory, as were her two marriages. And her second husband got custody of their only child. February 5th, 1959, fire swept through her apartment and oceanfront walk in Venice, California. She was burned to death. Her landlady later said that uh, Gwilly had been a heavy drinker, adding she found peace at last, something she'd ever do on earth. And found in the ruins of her apartment were several empty whiskey bottles plus a box of old magazines in which she'd been featured as a cover girl. Then somebody that uh, I used to like to watch, John Edward Joseph Cassidy, also known as Jack Cassidy, died in 1976. You know, some performers like Jack Cassidy are so multi-talented, they continue their work in all the mediums. And his career in wasn't Induced by professional burnout. Rather, he burned to death in an apartment fire. Grew up in the Richmond Hill area of Queens, New York. Youngest of five children in an Irish-American household. His father was a railroad engineer. As a child, he thought about becoming a priest, but by the age of 11, changed his mind. With the guidance of an uncle... Entertainer Ben Dora, he decided on a showbiz career. By the age of 16, he had a chorus job in Ethel Merman's musical Something for the Boys in 1943. When that closed, he took odd jobs, bellhop, chauffeur, what have you, to fill in between Broadway cho uh, chorus work. 1948, he had a tiny role in Small Wonders with Bobby Van and Live and Kicking in 1950. He had married TV actress Evelyn Ward, and her son David uh, was born in 1951. He enjoyed uh, David Cassidy of the, um, he was a singer as well as on uh, TV series. Well, Jack Cassidy enjoyed solid success with the musical Wish You Were Here in 52 and did a dramatic role in Sandhog in 1954. That same year, he and Evelyn divorced. Well, long at odds with his pretty boy image and hating being branded a lightweight actor who got by on his wit and his sharp wardrobe, he, he began to have doubts about his own talent. At the same time, he exercised some of his demons writing an autobiography. 
and at that point his life took another positive jump. He met Shirley Jones again, who had co-starred with him in a 1956 European tour of Oklahoma. They married that same year and performed together in the Beggar's Opera, later in the Supper Club tour. 1959, the first of their three sons, Sean Cassidy, was born, followed by Patrick in 62 and then Ryan in 66. 1970, Jack won an Emmy for playing the defense counsel on TV's The Andersonville Trial, earned a Tony for being the dashing uh, Hungarian fop Mr. Kodaly in the musical She Loves Me in 1963. And he seemed to be everywhere, in magazine ads, TV quiz shows, went back on Broadway with Carol Burnett in uh, Fade Out, Fade In in 1964, with Shirley uh, and uh, Maggie Flynn in 1968. In movies such as The Chapman Report, FBI Code 98 in 1964, Bunny O'Hare in 71. TV co-starred in the sitcom He and She in 1967. England, he and Shirley were paired for the TV series A Date with Shirley and Jack. The, uh, I mean, he literally had a um, unbelievably... Um, Exciting career. Well, as their careers and lives diverged, he and Shirley parted in 1974 and finally led to divorce in 1975. 1977, she married actor-promoter Marty Ingalls. In the mid-70s, Jack's screen career took an upward turn as the homosexual villain in uh, Clint Eastwood's The Iger Sanction as the aged John Barrymore in W.C. Fields and Me in 1976. He was also on Broadway with Janet Lee in the comedy mystery uh, Murder Among Friends. And in December 1976, it all ended in a blaze of terror at his West Hollywood penthouse apartment. He lived on North Kings Road. As the Arsenal Squad later determined, Cassidy hosted a party on Saturday night, December 11th. Several cigarette butts were strewn over the floor and a fire was started by Still that cigarette left carelessly on or by a couch. Cassidy had fallen asleep on the couch, and when the flames burst out, he was overwhelmed by the smoke and the heat. That five-alarm inferno caused the evacuation of a hundred tenants in the four-story building. And because his car was missing, uh, been borrowed by a friend, it turned out, it wasn't immediately known that the badly, if the badly scarred body in the living room was out of Cassidy. People hope he had driven to Palm Springs originally planned, and maybe the victim was somebody else. But the corpse was later identified as Jack Cassidy's through dental records and personal jewelry. Well, his ex-wife Shirley Jones gave him the finest tribute. He was an extraordinary man with an uncanny sense of humor and a gifted talent. One of a kind, and the world suffers a great loss because he was taken from it too soon. Interestingly enough, he didn't leave any of his $150,000 estate to Shirley or Evelyn Ward or even David, his son. We left everything to certain friends and relatives as well as to the Actors' Equity Fund and the Motion Picture company, uh, Country House. His last movie, The Private Files of J. Edgar Hoover, in which he uh, played writer Damon Runyon, was not even released until 1978. Well, our next... Um, member of the 
celebrity death list is an actor I enjoyed watching. Born Ira Grossell, his name was Jeff Chandler in Hollywood. He died in 1961. Six foot four, Jeff Chandler was only 42 years old when he died. He was the picture of health until he suffered a slip disc while making Merle's Marauders in 1961, a World War II combat movie. Simple corrective surgery was performed at a Culver City, California hospital, and he should have been up and around in no time. But due to a medical misadventure, he died. His future actor was born Ira Cursell in Brooklyn, where he attended Erasmus Hall High School. He was convinced he wanted a career in the creative arts, took art courses, and then enrolled in the Fagan School of Dramatic Art in New York City. Landed a job with the Long Island Stock Company, first as a stagehand and then as an actor. 1941, he and a friend began a little theater company in Elgin, Illinois. But after Pearl Harbor um, brought the U.S. into World War II, he joined the Army where he was stationed mostly in the Aleutians. Well, as of December 6, 1945, he was a civilian and headed toward L.A. While doing a radio job, he was discovered by Dick Powell and given a small role in Powell's Johnny O'Clock in 1947. By now, he's known as Jeff Chandler and spent much of the next two years on the radio. He was Mr. D- and Mr. Dana and Michael Shane Detective and in our Miss Brooks with Eve Arden, he played her love interest. Universal Pictures cast him as an Israeli leader in The Sword in the Desert in uh, 1949. And his masculine looks registered with moviegoers. He joined the studio's roster of contract young leading men, which included Tony Curtis and Rock Hudson. Well, with his high cheekbones, he was cast in the first of several Indian roles in Broken Era in 1950, starring uh, Jimmy Stewart. And Chandler got an Oscar nomination for his role. In Universal Contact Player, he careened through a stack of motion pictures, sometimes as an athlete, like an Iron Man in 1951. Uh, played a swashbuckling... Uh, Sauce Buckler in uh, Yankee Buccaneer in 1952. Played a serviceman in Way All Boats in 56. And along the way, he developed a real screen magnetism and played opposite several smoldering lady ladies like Jane Russell, Gene Crane, and Susan Hayward. Always ambitious, he was constantly proving himself. He showed he could play a range of roles on screen, so he signed a recording contract in 54 with Decca Records, doing several singles in an album. In May of 57, he appeared at the Riviera Hotel in uh, Las Vegas as a singer. He also played the violin and wrote music. Started his own music publishing company. Like as many stars did in the 50s, he formed his own production company to produce movies such as Durango in 57. Married actress Marjorie Hussell in 46, and they had two daughters, Jamie and Dana. They split in 54, but reconciled. In late 57, uh, Chandler and aquatic movie star Esther Williams became very good friends and co-starred in Raw Wind in Eden in 58. Uh, they were, apparently had quite a hot romance off-camera, and in 59, Marjorie Hussell sued Chandler for divorce. By 1960, when the decree became final, uh, Esther Williams and Jeff Chandler had uh, gone their separate ways. Well, Chandler continued to make movies 
and went on location in the Philippines for Amero's Marauders in early 1961. When he came back to L.A., he underwent surgery in May for a slip disc. Following an uncomplicated operation, he suffered internal hemorrhages and infection. An emergency follow-up operation uh, lasted 72 hours to repair a ruptured artery. Given 55 pints of blood. He survived that as well as additional surgery, but another in hemorrhage and more infection weakened him and took a turn for the worse. Friday, June 16th, and died the next day of a generalized blood infection complicated by uh, pneumonia. Well, after funeral services uh, at Temple Isaiah in Los Angeles, his body's taken to Hillside Memorial Park for private internment. With uh, his untimely passing, Hollywood lost three major macho leading men in the course of a few short months. Clark Gable in November 1960, Gary Cooper in May of 1961, and then Jeff Chandler in 1961. Well, the next one was a sad loss to a lot of people in Hollywood. His name was Linda Darnell, born Manetta. Eloise Darnell. If anybody had ever had a strange premonition of her tragic future, it was Linda Darnell, the star of Forever Ambler, 1947. Had a lifelong fear of fire. While shooting Anne in the King of Siam, her role called for her to be burned at the stake. That scene terrified her, but it was a required scene in the film. While filming it, she was slightly injured. Later on, she told the press, never again. Next time, I prefer being stabbed or shot. At least that kind of dying is painless. Nineteen years later, she burned to death in a fiery furnace. Well, Maggie Pearl Brown had grown up in Clifton, Tennessee, always dreaming of becoming an actress. Those plans were abandoned for the reality of a marriage. Had two children by her first husband before they divorced. 1915, uh, a 20-year-old woman, man, a Darius, Texas postal worker, roared down there. In the next 14 years, the couple had four children. The second one, Moneta, was born in uh, October 16, 1923. Later, studio press releases uh, pushed her birth year back to 1921 to make her appear older so she could play older parts. Frustrated Pearl soon fixated her show business dreams on Lynetta. By age 11, the pretty girl had physically matured enough to pass for much older and got department store modeling jobs. She later remembered, I was going to be a movie star, her mother was going to bust in the attempt. When her daughter was 14, a 20th Century Fox talent scout passed through Dallas and Pearl badgered him with photos of Manetta. He brushed her off, but she followed him to Hollywood with Manetta in tow. Well, the studio felt she was too young and sent mother and daughter packing. Later on, Pearl engineered Manetta's entry into a talent contest, and before you know it, they were back in Los Angeles. RKO let the young girl sit out the option period, and they went back to Texas again. Later on, Fox brought Pearl and Manetta to Hollywood and signed her to a $750 contract, renamed her. Linda Darnell. She radiated fresh beauty in Elsa Maxwell's Hotel for Women in 1939 and soon uh, promoted by the studio head Daryl Zanuck into star roles. She was Hollywood's new Cinderella girl and 
teamed with matinee idol Tyrone Power in several features, including the Marco Zorro in 1940 and Blood on the Sand, 1951. 1941, rather. Get away from her manipulative mother. Linda moved into her own apartment, but her independence was short-lived. She, having long depended on the advice and kindness of veteran cinematographer Pervil Marley, the Linda married him in April 1942 in Las Vegas. He was 41, she was 19. Well, because Linda played too many versional heroes on screen, she was in a career rut. So Fox devised a fresh approach for the new Linda Darnell. As a smoldering victim, vixen of a summer storm, she made people take note anew. With her new speciality, she was cast as a temperist, temperist, and I can't talk today, in the period thriller Hangover Square in 1945, in which she was strangled and her body burned. And soon she won the role of her career. When the studio shut down filming of Forever Amber, based on the racy bestseller by Kathleen Windsor about, Windsor about the Restoration England, Peggy Cummins was dropped from the lead, and Linda was her replacement. Well, even in a diluted screen version, blonde-haired Linda was impressive as the sexy hussy. A scene in a spectacle called for Linda to be involved in the Great London Fire, and the frightened actress, uh, fearing the all-too-real flames, had to be yanked onto the soundstage to perform. Well, Forever Amber did not prove to be a huge hit. Darnell's career stalled. Meanwhile, she and Marley adopted her daughter, nicknamed Lola, but her career took an upturn when she was cast opposite Rex Harrison in Unfaithful Years in 1948, and then as the mercenary girl in a letter to three wives in 1948. In 1851, she and Marley divorced, and the next year her Fox contract expired. So she went to Italy for two movies and married to early President Philip Liebman for the two years in 1954 and five. Linda, who'd become a heavy drinker, tried picture-making again, but was forced to accept a Western. Her bid for Broadway stardom ended uh, Harbor Lights, 1956. It closed after four performances. In March of 1957, she married airline pilot uh, Merle Robertson. Well, her drinking problem caused Linda, who is now approaching 40 and was no longer the sex pot, she became somewhat problematic on the set. After making Zero Hour in 57, she didn't get another film until Black Spurs in 1965. And that was a low-budget western full of has-beens. Desperation, she did stage work, a nightclub act, and went on TV. November 23, 1963, she and Robertson divorced. Well, March of 1965, after touring in Janet's, she visited her friend and former secretary, Jean Curtis, in Glenview, Illinois. Early in the morning of April 9th, Linda suggested to Jean and her 16-year-old daughter, Patricia, they stay up and watch one of Linda's old movies, Stardust, made in 1940. She said, let's have some laughs. After the movie ended, about 2.30 in the morning, they went upstairs to bed. Well, about 3.30 in the morning, a still-smoldering cigarette ignited on the downstairs sofa, and soon the living room was aflame. Smoke and the heat woke up the three women, and Jean and Patricia managed to escape. Pat jumped from a second-floor window. Jean went out onto a bathroom window ledge where a fireman later rescued her. 
But Linda, afraid of jumping, had tried to make it down the stairs and out the front door where she was caught by the flames in the living room. Neighbor tried to smash through a downstairs window to rescue her, but the flames were too intense. When firemen broke in, they found Darnell unconscious behind the sofa. She had second and third degree burns over 80% of her body. Taken to Skokie Valley Community Hospital where she underwent four hours of surgery. Prognosis was bad, and later that day she was moved to Cook County Hospital's burn treatment center. Her, her 16-year-old daughter flew in from California to be at her dying mother's bedside. They spent a half hour together, and Linda was barely conscious. But in her distorted voice, she'd had a tracheotomy. She kept saying, who says I'm going to die? I'm not going to die. And then she whispered, I love you, baby. I love you. And at 325 in the afternoon, she died. Well, the next member of our list of unfortunates, James Dean, died 1955. Few Hollywood performers have made such a charismatic impact on the world as did uh, nonconformist James Dean. The impact is all the more impressive because he starred in only three movies during his brief meteoric uh, career. In both life and death, he became a symbolic rebel of his era. And amazingly, his reputation is still legendary in today's generation. Like a few chosen others, Elvis Presley and Marilyn Monroe, Dean remains as popular in death as he was in life. Born James Byron Dean... February 1931 in Marriott, Indiana, son of a Quaker dental technician, Winton Dean, and his Methodist mother, uh, Mildred Wilson Dean. When he was nine, his mother died, and he went to live with his aunt, Hortense Wilson, and her husband, Marcus, in nearby Fairmount. In high school, he was the class of 49, don't you know? His drama teacher, Adeline Nile, coached him into entering a public speaking contest, and he wound up winning the state's trophy. His father wanted him to study law, and he enrolled at Santa Monica City College and transferred to UCLA, where he majored in drama before he quit. His roommate, young actor William Bass, got him an extras job in a TV commercial and did work as an NBC network page. Later, he was a movie extra in 1951 movies like uh, Fixed Bayonets and Sailor Beware, and in 1952 release, Has Anybody Seen My Gal? With the suggestion of actor James Whitmore, he moved to New York in the fall of 51 to find himself. Always a loner, he became more so in Manhattan. But he knew how to seize on opportunities, and... Uh, through friends, auditioned for See the Jaguar in 52, in which he made his Broadway debut. Between that flop and his next Broadway uh, assignment, The Immortalist in 54, in which he was the corrupt Arab houseboy, he did a great deal of live TV. For The Immortalist, he received the Theater Awards, uh, World Award as the most promising newcomer of the year. Well, always a daredevil. His pride and joy was his silver poor spider, which he nicknamed Little Bastard. Week after completing Giant... Uh, with uh, Rock Hudson. He was out for a spin, driving at 86 miles an hour. At 5.59 p.m. on September 30th, 1955, his car collided with another at the intersection of uh, Routes 41 and 466 near Paso Robles, California. His passenger, Porsche factory mechanic uh, Rolf Wendrich, 
suffered a broken leg and head injuries. And the driver, David um, Turnipseed, of the other car, was only slightly injured. In the crash, Dean's head was nearly severed from his body. Later, a policeman reported a few hours early in Bakersfield he had issued a speeding ticket to the reckless Dean and cautioned him to slow down. Dean had been heading to a sports car rally at Salinas. Reputedly, uh, Jimmy Dean's uh, last words to Ralph uh, Witterich before the federal car crash was, he's got to see us. Not necessarily so. Well, another actor on this list that I enjoyed watching was Eric Fleming, known as Cattle Boss in um, Murrahide. Sometimes, like a gambler and actor, got a new one to quit. Well, Fleming didn't, and attempting fate, he died. Born in Santa Paula, California, all he ever wanted to do was be in show business. He gravitated to Manhattan looking for stage career. First made his mark by starring in the title role of Major Dale Conway of the Flying Tigers, a low-budget adventure series telecast by the Dumont Network. After six years on the, six weeks on the air in the spring of 51, the show disappeared for two months. When it reappeared, Ed Peck had replaced Fleming in the key role of the American operative. Fleming reappeared on series TV in the network soap opera Gold and Windows in 1954. Then he moved back to the West Coast where the tall, rugged Fleming got work in Conquest of Space and acted in several slot features such as The Queen of Outer Space in 58 and Curse of the Undead in 59. Well, the CBS TV's answer to the highly successful rival network series Wagon Train, the studio developed Rawhide. Eric Fleming starred as cattle uh, trail boss Gil Favor with Clint Eastwood as the right-hand man and Rowdy, uh, Rowdy Yates. Hour-long show premiered in January 1959 and became a big hit. After seven years on the program, Fleming tried to tired at a role and decided to retire to a ranch in Hawaii he had bought with his earnings. He uh, quit the program after the 1964-65 season. Uh, Eastwood took over as the trail boss. Rather than following through with his relocation plans, Eric chose to remain in Hollywood for a movie role. Doris Day's The Glass Bottom Boat in 1966. Then he was a guest on two episodes of Bonanza. Next, ABC persuaded him to star with uh, Ann Haywood in the projected adventure series High Jungle. He joined the cast members on location in Peru. They were filming scenes on the headwaters of the Amazon River. September 28, 1968, the cast and crew were in a remote jungle region 300 miles northeast of Lima. Fleming Peruvian actor Nico Monardos were being filmed in a canoe on the Pulalaga River when the craft suddenly overturned. Monardos managed to swim to safety, but Fleming was swept off by the current the remains of his body what was left uh, when the piranha got with him wasn't found until october 3rd if he'd all been going on and retired in hawaii as he planned he would probably 
still be living. Well, another well-known name on our list is Janet Gaynor. Sometime or another, most of us have had qualms about riding in a taxi. For Janet Gaynor, the winner of the first Best Actress Academy Award, being a passenger in a San Francisco cab in September 1984, was a fatal decision. Born Laura Gaynor in Philadelphia, when she was eight, her mother divorced, and Laura, with her slightly older sister Helen, moved with her to Chicago. As Gaynor remarried, the family relocated again to Florida and then to San Francisco. 1923, Laura graduated from high school. Next year, the family visited Los Angeles, where the Gaynor sisters found work as movie extras and comedy shorts at Hal Roach's uh, studio and elsewhere. Sweet-faced Laura, now known as Janet, got um, her first important film assignment when she was cast in the, the Johnstown Flood, 1926, at Fox. Studio production chief Winford Sheehan uh, took a particular liking to Janet and hired her to $100 a week, which was good money in those days. Since Sunrise, 1927, with George O'Brien, that petite Janet gained important recognition. She was given a studio raise to 300 a week, and as the Parisian Waif was cast opposite Charles Farrell in the, for the first time in Seventh Heaven in 1927, it was a combination of Sunrise, Seventh Heaven, and Street Angel on 28th that she was named Best Actress at the first Academy Award ceremony, May 16, 1929. She had a hell of a career going for her. Despite a limited vocal range and a bit of a twang in her voice, Five Foot High Janet was a success in her first all-talky movie, Sunny Side Up, in 1929. That same year, she married San Francisco attorney Lydell Peck. Years later, she'd admit that she and co-star Farrell off-screen lovers that uh, Charlie pressed me to marry him, but we had too many differences. 1930, she went on to strike against the bland, sentimental role she was getting, and in a huff, sailed her to her mother for Hawaii. When she returned it a lot, she's back making more insipid pictures with Charles Farrell. Nevertheless, she was a big box office uh, hit. By 1934, she and Farrell made their 12th and final movie together, Change of Heart. Also that year, her disastrous marriage to Peck ended in divorce. When the studio merged with 20th Century Pictures in the mid-30s, Daryl Zanuck became head of the combined studio. He uh, pushed Janet aside in favor of a much younger actress, uh, such as Loretta Young and his studio's new breadwinner, the, the Tyke star Shirley Temple. Well, at that point, Gaynor thought about retiring, but instead went on the contract to David Selznick, who cast her as a movie-struck farm girl, Esther Blodgett, in the Star is Born in 1937. Picture was a major hit, and cute as a button, Gaynor was Oscar-nominated again. After making The Young and Heart, she retired to marry a famed movie costume designer Gilbert Adrian. Her son Robin was born in 1940. She made a few returns to acting on radio and TV in the early 50s, and she and Adrian moved to Brazil near Annapolis uh, to a 200-acre ranch. She was known for saying it doesn't have a modern kitchen, but we do have our own little jungle. Well, her neighbor in Brazil was her longtime good friend, Mary Martin, and her husband. 1957, a lot of hoopla, Janet returned to her, her old studio. Zanuck was away in Europe. 
to play Pat Boone's mother in Bernadine. Well, by now, she and Adrian relocated to the States where he died of a stroke in September 1959. At the time, she was rehearsing a Broadway-bound play, The Midnight Sun. It never did reach New York. December 1964, 58-year-old Janet married stage producer Paul Gregory, who was 43 and retired to Palm Springs. 1980, fidgety for the limelight again, she tried Broadway and Harold and Maude, but that show flopped. September 5, 1982, Janet, who was long-eyed the limelight, her husband, Mary Martin, and an agent, Ben Washer, riding in a San Francisco taxi, they were heading to a Chinese restaurant. A van ran through a red light and crashed into the cab. Well, Agent Washer was killed. Martin was critically injured, but left the hospital after 10 days. Gregory sustained a less serious injury, but for Janet, she suffered a broken pelvis and collarbone, 11 broken ribs, and assorted internal injuries. Underwent two major operations in San Francisco's General Hospital before being released in January 1983. Convalesced at her Palm Springs home and even managed a few public appearances. Well, she had to be hospitalized again in August of 84. In September of 84, she died at Desert Hospital in Palm Springs. Cause of death was listed as pneumonia, although her private physician stated the actress never fully recovered from the automobile accident. There were a number of complications that compounded her her illness. Well, you know, there's no question there's been a lot of accidental deaths. I mean, with with the type of, um, well, let's say, unusual lifestyles that uh, people in Hollywood uh, have. It's not unusual to find accidents of one sort or another popping up. In addition to accidents, we also have alcohol and drugs. For example, a name that everybody should know, Bella Lugosi, died of... um, result of alcohol and drugs. His name was actually Bella Farink Dezo Blasco. But that wouldn't go well on the marquee, so it became Bella Lugosi. Died in 1956. Sometimes a star becomes so identified with a role it's difficult to separate from where the characterization stops and the actor starts. That's the case of Hungarian-born Bella Lugosi. The effusion was far greater than usual. So much of his American show business career was tied to playing the bizarre vampire nobleman from Transylvania, Count Dracula. He often lost his own identity in the process. And one of his escapes from the netherworld of scream vampirism was drugs, and this dependency contributed greatly to the problems in his last few years. Well, determined to beat his long-standing addiction and maybe regain the affections of his Ex-wife Lillian, the the ghost, he had himself committed to the Metropolitan State Hospital in Norwalk, California. Later, right of the horrors he underwent during the treatment. I mean, kicking drugs is one of the hardest things you can do. Well, he was buried. Well, access for professional employment and any type of recognition he could get. 
because you know fan adoration is a drug in and of itself. He joined another uh, group of genre relics: John Carradine, Lon Chaney Jr., Basil Rathbone, and for the the Black Sleep in 1956. And now, as a result of his years of drug use, he had great difficulty remembering his lines. In June of 56, he was on stage for three performances in The Devil's Paradise, an anti-drug exploitation drama. It was done on the cheap in L.A., as many of these are. He had just started work on what was described as an excruciatingly awful Plan 9 from Outer Space when his health deteriorated literally overnight. On August 16, 1956, while his wife was out shopping for groceries, he died of a heart attack. Ironically, at the time of his death, the next movie he was going to make was The Final Curtain, and he had a copy of that script in his hand when he died. Well, as he requested, he was buried in his trademark Dracula black cape and tuxedo. For the small gathering who attended the service, it was a strange but eerie familiar sight to see the open coffin with a Dracula-dressed Lugosi lying inside. Buried at Holy Cross Cemetery in L.A., where his marker was described, Bella Lugosi, 1982 to 1956, beloved father. Well, during his acting career, he earned over half a million dollars, but his only asset at death was a building lot worth about 2000 Drugs and poor career choices in his post-peak years had robbed him of any legacy for his beloved son. Well, the abysmal Plan 9 from outer space, with a, which included a few minutes of uh, Lugosi's footage, worked into its uh, narrative, was finally released in 1959 and was determined to be what would amounted to a golden turkey. It was terrible. Now, you know, another individual who, uh, his career was pretty much ended by drugs, was Gail Russell. Died in 1961. It was said by many there was always something hauntingly sad about blue-eyed brunette Gail Russell, even in her early movie success. In 1944, she did The Unveiled. In 1947, Angel and the Bad Man with John Wayne. After her death, the former head of Paramount's new talent department said uh, she was a lovely girl who didn't belong in the movie industry. I think she'd have had a happy life had she become a commercial artist instead of a movie actress. But she did become a movie star which led this beautiful, introverted woman into self-destruction. She herself said, uh, everything happened so fast. I was a sad character. I was afraid. I don't exactly know of what, probably of life. Well, by the mid-40s, she'd found an escape from her inferiority complex, stress of performing, turned to drink that had gradually increased over the years. And she developed an attachment for handsome young actor Guy Madison. On screen, she was the Quaker girl who falls in love with John Wayne in Angel and the Bad Man. While making Calcutta in 1947, she became attracted to fellow director, to married director John Farrow, who had a reputation for being a womanizer and being sadistic. In August of 1949, uh, Russell and Madison finally married. She said she was deliriously happy, but the next year, Paramount ended her contract. Her run freelance film, Air Cadet 1951, was so-so. 
She became increasingly moody and stopped, stepped up to drinking and lost several potential screen assignments. 1953, Mexican singer-dancer uh, Esperanza sued John Wayne for divorce and named Gail, who was then separated from Guy Madison, as correspondent. Well, John Wayne insisted the allegations weren't true. Nevertheless, the traumatic situation led to Russell being institutionalized in Seattle. Hardly she been released, and she was arrested for drunk driving. Next year, she and Guy Madison divorced. He insisted she cared nothing about their home or marriage. John Wayne came to her rescue again, cast a mature-looking Gale in the western Seven Men from Now, which he was producing. Others tried to find her work, but the jobs just never seemed to work out. Well, when she was signed for an episode of Manhunt, this former star said, My morale's high. All you need is a little sunshine to pat on the back now and then. I've got peace of mind for the first time in my life, and I'm happier than ever before. But things didn't stay that way. No further work offers came. August 27, 1961, she was found dead in her modest Brentwood apartment on South Bentley Avenue. place was littered with empty vodka bottles. One neighbor said he'd last seen Russell four days earlier when she'd pleaded for a drink. After that, she locked herself in her apartment and refused to come out. Eventually, the police were notified and they broke into her place. Autopsy confirmed she died of liver disease brought on by alcohol abuse. She uh, had not yet turned 40. It was sad. Because she was a beautiful woman. Well, on that note, we come to the end of today's show. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about Hollywood murders. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.